0: Yeah? Tom, you want to do a Bible study? Yeah? Tom, you want to come up here and preach today? (laughs) Sure, move over, please. Yes, yes. Let's get our Bibles open and open up to the book of Matthew. We are making our way through the book of Matthew. I've really enjoyed studying Jesus' words. Specifically, His Sermon on the Mount was really ministering to me. And we have made our way as far as Matthew 8:28 is where we are at today. Matthew 8:28. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. The ushers would love to give you one. If you're at home, please take time to get your Bible out. Get a pen and paper out and, and take some notes. And uh, let's bring our hearts before the Lord as we pray. Jesus, so good to gather in your house this morning. We thank you, Lord, that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst. We thank you, Lord, that it is your will for us to be in fellowship together. And Lord, how good it is for the brethren to d- dwell together in unity. And Lord, it's in your name that we've gathered this morning, and it's your, your face that we're seeking. And Jesus, we are in awe of who you are, and we want to know you more. So we pray that you would allow us to uh, really understand the text that we're looking at today that we might know your majesty and your splendor, your sovereign power over all things, and that it might increase our faith that we might trust in you, even in the midst of uncertain times. So Lord, fill us with your Spirit now and manifest yourself to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 Uh, Well, here we have uh, made our way, as I mentioned, chapter 8 all the way to verse 28. And I've titled the message this morning, Jesus and Demons. Uh, not something that you normally want to talk about on a Sunday morning. Hey, I got a good idea. Let's go to church and talk about demons. Uh, but we're going through verse by verse, and it's the passage that we're in. And today we're going to see two men who are demon-possessed, whose, whose lives have been overtaken by evil. And as a result, they are suffering tremendously. They are... Uh, uh, just having lives that are less than human, and society does not know what to do with them. Society has cast them out, sent them away, hid them off, and today we're going to see Jesus, author- Jesus' authority over the supernatural world, over the spiritual world, and His ability to heal those who've, whose lives have been destroyed by sin and by de- demonic activity. When we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we see actually uh, kind of going through, studying verse by verse in Matthew, we're seeing some of the, the design of the scripture. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. He has his baptism. He's tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And he goes and he preaches the Sermon on the Mount after the after his wilderness temptation is over. And in that Sermon on the Mount, oh, just the most profound, life-giving words that he gives, right? Uh, They were amazing, and it was just great to study that with you. Then he he shows in the Sermon on the Mount that he has just divine wisdom. Words that have just not been spoken by man, right? Just life-giving words. He comes down from the Sermon on the Mount, and there's multitudes that begin to follow him. And he shows not only does he have power to give life giving words, but that he has power over disease and sickness, and that he is sovereign even over those things. And so he heals a leper, he heals many who are sick, he heals a paralyzed youth with just a word from afar, not even going and visiting him, just from a distance. And we see his incredible sovereignty over disease. Then he moves and he shows that he is sovereign even over nature. As he calms a storm with a single word. The storm raging so violently that these uh, trained fishermen who grew up on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, they're afraid they're going to drown. They're afraid they're going to they're die. The boat is almost capsizing. And with the word Jesus speaks, and immediately there was calm. Imagine that situation. These raging storm, and then just hush, and it's quiet. And now Jesus is going to move and show us that he has power not only over the physical world, but also over the spiritual world. And here today, we're going to see that he has power over the supernatural as he heals a man possessed by many demons and brings him back into sanity. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for those 40 days, he had fasted and was seeking God's face and and praying about starting his ministry, his public ministry. And Satan came and took the opportunity of him being weak from fasting and Satan tempted him those 40 days. And Jesus showed that he had the power to endure Satan's temptation. He had the power to resist Satan. But if Jesus is going to be the Messiah, if he is going to restore the earth, if he is going to restore man, he needs more than power to resist Satan. He must also show that he is able to defeat Satan. And here in uh, this passage that we're in today, we will see that Jesus has absolute power over the supernatural realm. And uh, let's read this. And as we do, you're going to see it's a crazy story, just uh, amazing. Uh, but let's pick it up. Are you there, Matthew 8? Verse 28, let's start there. Now when he had come to the other side, that's the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He had been up on the northern side of Sea of Galilee, where Capernaum is. Uh, that's where he had started. And now he crosses all the way down to the southern side of the Sea of Galilee. When he, that's Jesus, had come to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to the country, uh, to the country of the Gergesenes, or your Bible may say the Gadarenes. Uh, the other, uh, Luke and Mark and Luke, both call it the area of the Gadarenes. And uh, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. So think about the picture. Uh, Jesus has just calmed the storm. The disciples went from thinking their life was almost over to now going, oh my gosh, who is this that controls even the waves and the sea and the wind? And they're in awe and they're pondering. And now they come to land, they get out of the boat, they walk out a little bit and bam, it hits one more time this demon-possessed guy, two of them, exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. I mean, people didn't even go through here anymore. And suddenly, they cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time?" Wow, interesting, interesting. What did you notice in that verse right there? What did you notice? Who's talking? The demons are talking through this man. Wow. They, and uh, plural, they cry out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus? Jesus. You son of God. First time son of God is used here in the in the book of Matthew. Uh, you son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off, off from them. There was a herd of many swine feeding. Uh, Mark's gospel tells us there was 2,000 swine. That's a lot of pigs. Uh, and they're feeding, they're eating. So the demons begged him, they begged Jesus, if you cast us out, Permit us to go away into the herd of swine. They're asking for permission. Uh, Permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. Just one word. No uh, emotional, well, in the name of Jesus, you know, like a sweating Benny Hinn type moment. No, 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 just a simple word, go. Go go. And so when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them, now that's the swine, fled. And they went away into the city and they told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And you would think they came out to celebrate him and to high-five him and to say, man, we want to know you. How did you heal this guy? But look at this. The whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. So he got into a boat. Crossed over and came to his own city, back to Capernaum. Crazy. Just amazing. Uh, What a story. How wild is that stuff? Imagine being one of the disciples, man. I mean, you're like, uh, this is great. You're doing these miracles. Oh, cross over the other side. Okay, great. Yeah, they get in the boat, and now, like, oh, the storm, we're dying then it's calm, now just like, wow, talk about a range of emotion, right? I mean, what an experience. And what does this do to you as you hear this story of Satan and these demons and being cast out? What do you think of all this? I find that in the world, in people's lives, in people's opinions, there are really two common mistakes that people make when we're dealing with Satan and with demons two common mistakes that we frequently make regarding Satan and demons. Number one, we think that they're not real. And uh we just kind of dismiss it. We think it's kind of, you know, myth mythology, just kind of like, oh yeah, right. Satan, we kind of reduce it to ridiculous, right? Satan, what does he have? A, you know, a red suit and a tail. I mean, uh, you know, come on, really? And this really appeals to the intellectual kind of mindset, right? You're just like, um, come on. I just don't believe it. And so we reduce it to ridiculous. Another mistake that we make as humans in looking at Satan and demons is we begin to over-spiritualize it and that we see Satan everywhere. Uh, this is common more in the in the charismatic church and maybe more in the charismatic christians and you know we just see satan everywhere uh you know i think it appeals more to the emotional side of uh, people who are more emotionally driven uh so you know i think you know what i mean you get a flat tire and you're like oh man the devil's really harassing me i got a flat tire your computer crashes and it's like oh man i'm under spiritual warfare you get a, you know, some different problem. You lose your temper or whatever. And you're like, the devil made me do it. No, that wasn't the devil, man. That was you, right? That was just you. Or I've heard this one a few times. Oh, when my spouse gets angry, I think something happens, man. You can see the devil in his eyes. His eyes change. Yeah, and we see, you know, some see Satan everywhere. Um, I mean no disrespect on this, but I will say it's spiritually naive to over-spiritualize things, uh, to believe that demons are at work in, uh, you know, all over the place like that, that when someone disagrees with you or has different beliefs than you do, you think that they're, de- you know, demon-possessed or, uh, you know, it's demon oppression or whatever. Uh, I would say this, both of those two positions are extreme, and both of them lack wisdom. We want to be careful. When your PC crashes, it's probably not spiritual warfare. It's probably just everyday life. (laughs) And uh, we want to be careful that we don't get too much into there. Um, So uh, we don't want to, you know, overdo it there. But on the other side, if we look at human history, uh, for those who are intellectual and they say, I don't, you know, I don't really believe that. Uh, I don't know about that demon and Satan stuff. Uh, If we look at human history, if we look at the history of humanity, we would have to agree that there has been a evil sway all throughout history. It's always been present. If we look at human history, we see that there's wars and there's genocide and there's slavery and there's prostitution and there's racism and there's evil despots who just you know are cruel and and you know the kim Jong yungs of the world it's always been that way i read an article uh, as i was doing some research for this i read an article in the new york times and it said this in the past 3400 years as much as we could really record history in the past 3400 years humans have been at war for 3,132 of those years. Think about that. Out of 3,400 years, humans have been at war for 3,132 years. That is 92% of the time. How do you explain that? And war is not defined as just a couple guys fighting. No, they define war as an active conflict that claimed more than a thousand lives. And that has happened in virtually all of human history. How do we explain that if there is no evil? Right now there are ten wars being fought on the earth. And that is historically low. The average is 30, if I remember the article correctly. Average of 30 wars being fought on the earth at all times. Crazy. At least 108 million people have been killed in war in the 20th century alone. And by the way, if you served in the the armed services or if you are serving in the armed services... Uh, May we just say thank you. We really appreciate what you do for us and that you defend our country and that you stand for us and you stand in the gap. But consider uh, just how many, you know, the need for it is amazing. Today, the combined armed forces of the world, according to the New York Times, are 21.3 million people serving in, in armed forces. That's a lot of people. China has the world's largest military with 204 million people, and United States is in second with 1.4 million people. And so here's my point. If the majority of humans just want to live in peace, and we do, how many of you want to live in peace? Right? I mean, how hard could it be? Why can't we do it if there is no evil force in the world uh, why can't we do it? And I would say this if we say there is no evil force in the world, we're not looking honestly or scientifically at the present world or at the history of the world. Uh, because there has been this evil sway all along. And to say there is not an evil force in the world is kind of just really living in denial of the evidence. There is something going on for sure. How do you account for everything? How do you account for all the wars? How do you account for all the thefts? How do you account for all the rapes and the murders and the crime and the illicit drug use and the addictions and the pornography industry? Do you know the pornography industry produces so much revenue that they, they, out, they, they produce more revenue than ABC, NBC, and CBS combined? How do you explain that? There is definitely an evil sway in the world. And, you know, I mean, gosh, there's so many things. Look at the human trafficking and everything else. And here we see the explanation there's demonic activity in the world. It's real. It's real. And the demons are powerful. We learn from this story that we are no match for the demonic activity. And it's not to be winked at. We would be doomed without Jesus Christ intervening on our behalf, keeping us safe. We would be doomed. And I tell you what, I personally have experienced the presence of evil. I don't know if you have or not, but I personally have experienced the presence of evil. It is real, it is dark, and it is horrific. And uh, it's, it's uh, well, as we shall see in these men's lives. Look at again, verse 28. He comes to the other side, and it's interesting, these demon-possessed men, they come to meet him, which is interesting. Luke's gospel actually says, "They come and worship." and worship doesn't mean worship like we love you but they come and they are in reverence of him they know who he is and they come and look at this out of this look what this guy's life is this man is living in the tombs he's exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass this way or that way amazing right? Just amazing. These men were demon possessed. Luke's gospel tells us that uh, Jesus asked them, what is your name? And what did they respond? You Bible scholars who know this, what did they respond? Wow. Yeah. I am legion. Legion. And legion is a word that was very common in the Roman era, right? And it meant an army of 6,000. Now that doesn't mean there were 6,000 demons in there, but there were many of them. He says... They said, we're a legion. And this man was controlled by them. They had controlled his life. They're speaking through him. He's just a host at this point. Crazy. And notice what they have him doing. Uh, They're controlling his life. He's living in a cemetery. Why a cemetery? Well, it seems that these demons, they're fascinated with dead things with what is decaying, with what is vile, with what is, you know, just profane. Uh, Luke's gospel said that this, this man had been in this situation for a long time. And he's living with like this subhuman behavior. Luke's gospel says he's running around naked. He's cutting himself. He's in agony. He's screeching. And hard to fathom why anyone would live this way. But if you look at the world, and you look what happens when people get far away from God, it becomes astonishing at how some will live their lives, does it not? I mean, what is the fascination with death? I don't understand it. Not only are they dwelling in tombs, but the Bible says that they're fierce. Again Luke's Gospel says that he would break these chains. They tried to chain him. They tried to control him first, to put him in, a, you know, in a room and that kind of that didn't work. Then they chained him. They broke the chains and now they have just given up on him and they've sent him away and he's living in a uh, in a uh, you know, in a cemetery. Just crazy. And Luke's Gospel also tells us that he's tormented. He's not living. He's not having a good time. He's screeching. He's crying out. Interesting, by the way, Luke's gospel says he's cutting himself. We see how popular that is becoming again now, how common that's becoming again now. He was cutting himself with stones. He was harming himself. And I want you to know this was not a physical problem. This was not a psychological problem. This was what? a spiritual problem, a spiritual problem. It was uncurable. Uh, the in, they tried to incarcerate him. That didn't work. They tried to lock him, you know, do, send him away. It didn't work. Uh, it was hopeless. Uh, and now he's, uh, he's wreaking havoc in, in the area. No one could pass this way, It says, uh, he was so evil, so dangerous, so dark, so vile that they just said, man, let's just shut down that area. Let's just keep that off limits. We'll just make that a no-go zone. And they wouldn't even go there. Here's the question I would like to ask, get us pondering, get us thinking about. How did this man get in this, this way? What happened? How did he get this way? He was once a normal guy, both of them. They went to school. They had friends. How did they get this way? What happened? how, How do you end up like that? Again, I think it is important that we acknowledge that the spiritual world is real. And we must not play with it or dabble with it. We don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us how they, got in, how they got into the situation, but they allowed it to come into their lives in some form or another at some point in their life, and it only progressed worse and worse, deeper and deeper, until they never dreamed they'd be in this situation now. And it is so important that we don't dabble or play with that dark side of the spiritual world, with the occult, with witchcraft. I know in young girls right now, it is becoming more popular to be involved as a witch, as if that was something to play in and to dabble in. And we, you know, we see it. We, we want to stay away from these things, pentagrams and uh, tattoos that have, uh, you know, dark symbols in them, uh, channeling spirits, uh, horoscopes, illicit drugs, drugs. Uh, uh hallucinogenic drugs all of these things are gateways into the the spirit world um the the old picture you know if you think of halloween and a witch what does a witch always have with her that big pot right that she's stirring right stirring with a broom or whatever do you know what that was that those were drugs that they were mixing up Uh, The Greek word for witchcraft is pharmakia, where we get our word pharmacy. And so uh, we know, want to stay away from those things, illicit drug use. It it does induce uh, or can induce some some of that dark side of spiritual things. And it's interesting how the world is kind of in love with these things, you know, like uh, uh, the music industry, we see a lot of that stuff being brought into the music industry. Uh, I we watched Beyonce on the Super Bowl, and I don't know if you noticed or not, but when Beyonce did the Super Bowl, she had a giant pentagram on her stage uh, as she's being watched on by the world. And you can say, oh, that's just, you know, it, hey... You don't want to dabble, don't want to play with those things. And it's common. Uh, Madonna has appeared as Baphomet. You know what Baphomet is? That goat head with the horns on a human body. I mean, she has appeared as Baphomet in her concerts and things. Katy Perry, all kinds of, and many others. It just, it's a common thing in the music industry. And here's my point. How did these guys get this way? We don't know, but here's the thing. Stay clear of that stuff. Don't dabble in it. It is not innocent. It is not okay. Uh, stay away from these things. These men had opened themselves up to it. And, uh, you know, it may have been lighthearted at one time. But I tell you what, it's not fun anymore. Look at their lives. What a mess. And these demons are speaking through this man. Look at this. They say, verse 29, they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? They recognize who he is. How do they know who he is? Here's how. Because Jesus created them. They know who he is. Long before they ever were fallen angels, they were holy angels that used to be in the presence with God, with Jesus in heaven. So of course they know who he is. And look at the question they ask. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Interesting. Interesting. I, I, you know, I want to back up just one second and look at this. They call Jesus the Son of God, and, and uh, they know who Jesus is. The demons know who Jesus is. It's interesting, by the way, the disciples, they're still learning who Jesus is at this point. Uh, when Jesus calmed the waves in the sea and then, you know, everything was, was still, they said, who could this be, right? They're still learning who Jesus is. But the demons know who Jesus is. But here's what I would have us hold on to. It's not enough to know Jesus is God. The demons know that. It's not enough to know that Jesus is God. We have to obey him as God. Lucifer, and again, Lucifer and the angels, they always knew Jesus was God, but that doesn't mean they obey him as God. And uh, a verse for that uh, um, is uh, really apropos for this is in James, James 2. Let's read this together on the screens. Let me hear you read this. You say you have faith, For you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Here we see the demons very much trembling. They're asking permission. They're in reverence of Jesus. They believe there is one God. Believing that Jesus is God is one thing, but actually making him the God of our life is entirely different. It's not enough to believe that Jesus is God. We have to make him the Lord of our life. And uh, obviously Satan and the demons know Jesus is God but they never make him Lord of their life. It's interesting that these demons knew that Jesus was sovereign over their destiny. Have you come here to torment us before our time? What does that mean? torment us before our time what are they asking what are they saying what do they know they obviously know something have you come here to torment us before our time they know what their end state is going to be interestingly enough and they know that their ultimate destiny is hell and they're saying hey if you come here to send us to hell before our time Some very interesting things the Bible teaches us about this, by the way, about hell and about the spirit world. Uh, Do you know that no one is in hell yet? Not, Not one person. There's nothing in hell right now. No one is in hell. When someone dies right now who's not a believer, they go to Hades. And Hades is a holding place. And hell won't be, no one will go to hell until uh, the end of the uh, white throne, you know, the end of the, tri- the tribulation period, then the thousand-year millennial reign, and then after the thousand-year millennial reign uh, is the great white throne judgment, and then uh, those who do not believe will be cast into hell. No one is in hell right now. And presently, there are uh, not even the demons. Uh, uh, presently, the demons are in Hades. And there's two groups of demons, uh, actually, I should say. There's two groups. Uh, some demons are here roaming around on earth. That's what we see that these, you know, who are possessed, possessing the, these guys here. Some are roaming around on earth, and Jesus cast them out. We saw, see that in the scriptures. The other group of demons is in Hades. And it's interesting, Jude's gospel and Peter's gospel, both uh, uh, 1 Peter allude to this, that... Um, Some, you know, why are some demons in Hades and why are some demons roaming the earth, right? I mean, crazy to consider. And uh, Jude would tell us that some demons actually sin worse than other demons and the demons that sin worse have been locked in Hades from the time of their fall until now. And if you want to know something really crazy, we're studying the book of Revelation on Tuesday nights. The Bible tells us that Uh, in Revelation chapter 9, the Bible tells us that in the tribulation period, these demons who have been bound in Hades since their fall are going to be released on the earth during the tribulation period. You think it's crazy now. You think things are bizarre now. I mean, when these demons get released on the earth in the tribulation period, boy, all hell is going to break out on earth. And so here uh, in verse 31, these demons, they beg Jesus. Jesus, permit us to go into the swine. Why were they asking Jesus? Why were they saying, hey, permit us to go into the swine? That's kind of a weird thing to happen. Demons don't normally possess animals. Nowhere else in the Bible do we ever read of a a demon going into an animal. Why would they ask Jesus, Jesus, allow us to go into these pigs? Why would they do that? Because they were concerned that Jesus was going to cast them into the uh, into Hades, into the Abuso, same word, same place, uh, cast them into the Abuso, and they would be, you know, sealed, chained until the tribulation period. And they're saying, "Hey, we don't want to, go, we don't want to do that. Just cast us into the pigs." And so, with the word, Jesus says, "Go," and they're gone. And the demons uh, go into these pigs. And uh, interesting, I mean, what happens to the pigs the moment the demons go into them? Instantly destroyed. And I bring that up because uh, that is just what they do. They, the, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And these demons go into these pigs and instantly they're violent and instantly they're destroyed. And I want you to know that's what demons do. And they do the same thing to, to humans. It just takes longer. It just takes longer because of, because of the human will. Uh, but their, their goal is to destroy. And how sad. Uh, on the other side, though, man, Jesus cast out these demons and these guys are completely healed, made whole by Jesus. Jesus gives them their life back. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being one of these guys? Society had long written you off. Your life has become hopeless and incurable. You don't even know why you do what you do. You have no control of your life. You're just being controlled by sin. And now suddenly you're sane, healthy, and in your right mind. Just amazing. Just amazing. And you know what it reminds me of? It just reminds me of Jesus' incredible power over sin. It reminds me that we're never too far gone for Jesus to save us. It reminds me of Jesus' incredible power to reach us right where we are if we will just come to him. If we'll just be honest with him about all that we have going on in our life. He will deal with it and he can heal us if we will give it to him. I love the passage in Isaiah where God says, hey, I I I know you're sinful. He says, even though your sin is as red as crimson, I mean, you just got blood on your hands. Here's what he says, come and let us reason together and I'll make you white as snow. Uh, I love that about Jesus. No matter how messed up we are, he always says this, hey, take my hand, be honest with me about your sin and let's go. Let's get on the right path. I'll cleanse you. If you're in some dark stuff this morning, if you're in, your life has brought some evil in that you really shouldn't be a part of, if you're dabbling in things you really shouldn't be dabbling in, if you're in the middle of having an affair, if you're in the middle of some illicit activities, if you're uh, cheating on your spouse, if you're just going further into this Evil side of life than you should. Man, I want to encourage you. You are never too far away from Jesus. This morning, you can get right. You can can get back on track. Uh, Jesus is is powerful. He can heal. Great verse to look at. Just, I love this verse. Psalm 145, 18. Good memory verse, by the way. Um, Let me hear you read this, church. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will also hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but the wicked He will destroy. Uh, That last part isn't given, the wicked He will destroy, isn't given to scare us, but it is given to make us say, do not play games with God. Thinking, oh, I'll I'll just sin for a while, I'll just sin for a while, I'll just sin for a while. He says, listen, I know your heart. I'm trying to reach you. And it's important that we allow him to do that work. Look what he says. The Lord is near to all who call upon him in truth. In truth as opposed to what? Pretense. Just not really sincere about bringing your life to him. But if we call upon him in truth, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will hear our cry and he will save, that, save us. Man, I love it. I love it. Even when the world gives up on us, Jesus never does. Man, the world had given up on these guys. And they were just cast away. They were just like, hey, you're not even worth anything. You're less than human. And uh, yet Jesus never gave up on them. Uh, Interesting that Jesus brings the boat exactly to where these guys are. I personally believe he was coming to save them specifically. How good is he? How good is he? Just like the woman of Samaria in John chapter 4, he just made a direct appointment with her. I think Jesus had a direct appointment with these guys who were in torment from sin. Uh here's something else to look at. Why did Jesus cast the demons into the pigs? Why not just cast them out into the, you know, into nothingness? Obviously they weren't in the pigs for very long. They went into the pigs, the pigs destroyed themselves, they did the swine dive, and they were gone, right? Uh, uh, now the demons are, you know, unembodied and looking for another host to go live in. So why did Jesus even cast them into the pigs? Kind of unusual. I think there are two things I'd like to draw your attention to. Number one, to show the men who are possessed that they were not crazy. They were not insane. They were possessed. That the demons are real. And by Jesus casting them into the swine, boy, they could see clearly, wow, oh my gosh, that was in me. It shows that Jesus is not some charlatan, some fake, some TV evangelist pretending to cast out demons. No, this was real, and the proof was in right before their eyes. They could see what exactly happened. Just amazing. Secondly, I think it also did uh, another thing. I think this would have been very uh, comforting to the men who were possessed. It showed them the demons were actually gone. That they weren't going to come back into them. That they were actually saved. That they were actually healed. That they were actually restored. These demons had had destroyed these men. And Jesus had made them whole. And it was clear that the demons were gone. And this is what Jesus does. This is who he is. And whenever we look at a study like this, the question always comes up. Well, can a Christian be demon possessed? Um. You know, can we, be, can we be indwelt with demons? Can we have this going on in our life? And I want you to know, unequivocally, the Bible is very clear. The answer is an absolute no. No way. No way. Uh, demons could never indwell or possess a believer. Uh, because when a person comes to Jesus Christ, when a person makes Jesus Christ their Lord and their Savior, what happens to that person? What happens the moment you believe? What happens? exactly you're filled with the Holy Spirit and there is no way in the universe that the Holy Spirit who is God and a demon can dwell in the same body it's just not possible and so uh, we have that comfort to know that as Christians we are free from these kind of things we can get harassed Uh, we can get tempted Uh, there's no doubt evil is in the world uh, but there is no way a a, a demon can, can live in us. So we're safe from that. Um, and here's a few verses that show this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Just so we have biblical uh, proof and not just my word. Read this with me, if you will. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? Yeah, rhetorical question. What's the answer? None. None, None right? Uh, and he even then uh, ties it into now it should be the same way with us. If that's true, if there's no harmony between Christ and the devil, well then how can a believer be partnered with an unbeliever? Yeah, it shouldn't be. Uh, verse 16. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? And the obvious answer is none. Uh, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has, as God said, I will live in them and will walk among them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Yeah, very clear. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and that uh, there is no fellowship whatsoever between light and darkness. And we can rest, man. We can be safe on that. Another verse, John 10 on your screens. Let me hear you read this. Jesus speaking, of course. Let me hear you read. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus showing his sovereignty over our lives, that he's able to keep us and allow us uh, to, to be in his presence and bring us to himself, and that we would never perish or anything should, should come upon us that he hasn't allowed. Uh, one more, First John chapter 4. Let me hear you read this one. You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them uh, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, it says you have overcome them. Who's the them? Well, John has been teaching about antichrist and false, you know, evil, uh, uh, false antichrists that are coming into the world. And um, he says uh, the, the big antichrist hasn't come yet, but there's a lot of little antichrists that have come. And he says you've overcome them. Because he who is in you—that's the Holy Spirit dwelling in you—is greater than he who is in the world, and the he who in, is in the world is Satan, the God of this age. That we, uh, uh, the Bible talks about. We looked at in our Revelation study. Um, so, some good things to comfort us there. A Christian cannot be demon possessed, and uh, it is very comforting. How many of you are glad that we are free from that problem? Oh my gosh. I mean, we don't realize when we say that, like, oh yeah, I knew that. I mean, of course I know. Well, do you worship because of that? Do you worship because, do you know how freeing that is to not, to have that privilege? Let me tell you, man, the enemy would love to devour you, but there is a hedge around your life, a shield of protection because of what Jesus has done for us. And I tell you what, man, we ought to say, praise the Lord. Yeah. I am so thankful. I am so thankful. And so uh, really great to know that a Christian can't be demon-possessed. But may I I tell you something? A moralist can be demon-possessed. Make sure you really are a Christian because a moralist can be demon-possessed. What's a moralist? Ah, really? That girl's on fire. (laughs) A moralist is what happens to us when we quit walking with Jesus and we start walking in our own righteousness. When we've been a member of a church for so many years that Jesus now is just not even really on our heart and we just think it's all about being good. That's a moralist. And Jesus gives great Concern gives great warning, says, "Hey, pay attention, that is not a safe place to be. Do you remember the story, Matthew chapter twelve? Look at this. Uh, Jesus taught on this was speaking to the moralist Matthew twelve. Let me hear you read this church: When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. Here we get a picture. Of uh, someone who had a demon in them. Their life was bound by all kinds of problems. Maybe they had a drug addiction. Maybe they had a all kind, you know, who knows what, right? I mean, uh, could be anything. But they get that unclean spirit out of them. Well, the unclean spirit then goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. Uh, they're looking for someone to inhabit. Crazy, Right? Verse 44, then he says, that's the unclean spirit. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Interesting. What does that mean? Hey, Jesus is saying it's really a dangerous thing to clean up your life without me. To start thinking that, oh, well, I just believe in spirituality. I'm just, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. I just, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm spiritual. I'm trying to be a good person. I think as long as you do more good than bad. Jesus says that, uh, uh, well, let's go on in the verse. Then he goes, That's that spirit. He goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. Those are Jesus words, not mine. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, be careful. I'm not a moralist. I'm not looking for good behavior on earth. That's not what I'm all about. I'm not looking for you to be nice and kind and moral and sweet and, and have it be all... No, no, no. Those things are all fruit of walking with me, but that's not what I'm about. I'm about, I created you to know me, to have a relationship with me. I want to cleanse you of your sin. I want to wash you. I want to walk with you. I want to do a life with you. I want to use you to build my kingdom. That's Christianity, not moralism. And I would say be careful, man, because it is easy to fall into the rut of moralism. Uh, in the book of Galatians, Paul wrote to the early church who had that problem. He said, oh foolish Galatians, who tricked you that you should so quickly fall from the truth, right? That you just, you think it's all about a moral lifestyle, and it's not. And, uh, you know, important that we don't, we don't allow that to, uh, to come into our, into our world. Um the lordship of Jesus, just super important. Let's kind of begin to wrap things up here. This community, they see Jesus heal this guy, and they beg Jesus, they beg for Jesus to leave. That's crazy. Why do you think that is? Let's look at it one more time. Verse 33 and verse 34. Then those who kept them, that's kept the pigs, fled went away into the city, told everything that happened. I mean, you'll never believe it. You know those demon-possessed guys? Yeah, they tell the whole story. They tell everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And behold, the whole city came to meet Jesus. And when they saw Jesus, they begged Him to stay for dinner. They begged Him to come and lead, guide, direct them into truth. They begged Him to be the Lord of their life. No, they begged Him to leave. Why? Why? Up <laughs> What's that? Insafe. Unsafe. Afraid. afraid. What are they afraid of? Changing them. Turning, turning their lives right side up, we should say, right? Uh, interesting, man. Just crazy. Uh, it's sad that they did not properly discern that God was in their midst. God came to them to save them. Jesus came to them to save them and they did not properly discern that he was in their midst. They missed the opportunity. And do you know why? I think they loved their animals more than they loved people. I think they loved their swine more than they cared about these two men who were demon possessed. I think they were more worried about losing their prophets than they were being in the presence of Jesus Christ. I think they were more concerned about their business than they were concerned about coming to Jesus. I think they just wanted to get back to their own little world. Crazy place to be. That we would be so caught up with our own little world and making money that we would miss it. A a man healed this These guys whose lives were ruined and their hearts were so hard they weren't even moved by it. They don't even care that a Savior is at hand. They just want to get back to their business. And that's our flesh, man. It's selfish. Um, And we have to be careful, man. Uh, I know it's easy to do, especially for men, uh, especially for businessmen. You know, you get so caught up in business that business has all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And Jesus gets a little bit of leftover on weekend, maybe on Sunday morning, but uh, he's just not who your life is about. And uh, uh, we're basically doing the same thing, right? I mean we're saying, hey no, depart, man, I gotta get back to work. We've gotta get more pigs, gotta make more money, gotta make more profits. Dangerous. If you find that you are you know in a dark situation if maybe you're pushing Jesus out, if maybe you've been dabbling in things you shouldn't be, man, pay attention. These people of Gadara did not recognize their visitation, and may it not be the same for us who are sitting here today. Jesus came to them, and Jesus is coming to us today with the same message. May we take it to heart. May we take it to heart. I want to close and wrap things up with this. I want to close with a a lesson on the dangers of following God from afar. Uh, Kind of interesting. Um, We can't be totally dogmatic about this, but I think it's it's pretty safe. And uh, you can make up your own opinion on what I'm going to teach you right now. Um, Here's the question. What are pig farmers doing in Israel? What are pig farmers doing in Israel? Pig is, swine is an unkosher meat. It was unclean. It was a sin for Jews to eat pig, to eat pork. Why then are there pig farmers in Israel? What is going on? And it's very interesting. Again, I can't be dogmatic about this. You decide for yourself if you think the pieces fit. But if we go back 1,400 years before Jesus... 1,400 years before this story of Jesus and the demoniac at at Gadara. We go back 1,400 years to where the children of Israel are getting ready with Moses and with Joshua to cross over from the wilderness into the promised land. Cross over what into the promised land? Cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. If we go back 1,400 years, here's what we see. The tribe of Gad come to Jesus. Excuse me, come to Moses, and they say, "We don't want to cross over the Jordan. We don't want to enter the Promised Land. We like this land right here. It's perfect for raising our livestock." You can read about this in in uh, um, uh, chapter. Numbers 32? Yeah, Numbers 32. Uh, you can read all about this in Numbers 32. They say, hey, we don't want to go into the promised land. There's this land right here. We've gotten rich during this 40 years in the wilderness wandering. We have so much livestock now. Uh, and this land is good. It's just, it's it's verdant. It's growing all kinds of food. Our 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 livestock loves it. We'll just stay here. And for the tribe of Gad, something very interesting happened. The call of God to be a nation. The call of God to come into the promised land. The call of God to have a tabernacle, to have a place of worship, to be a light to the world had been overshadowed by their wealth and by their by their flocks, by their livestock. And Moses tells them something very interesting. He says, hey... This is not good what you're doing. For number one, your actions will discourage the other tribes, the other 11 tribes. You're going to discourage them. And he recanted to them what happened 40 years earlier with the, with the 12 spies who went to spy out the land. And 10 of the spies came back and said, oh man, lions and tigers and bears, we'll never be able to overtake that land. Right? And he said, don't you remember how what those 10 guys did? How it turned a whole nation astray? He said, your actions are going to do the same thing. They said, we don't care. We want this land. And they make a deal with with Moses. I'll let you read it in Numbers 32. I'll let you read it. They make a deal with Moses. And at the end of the day, uh, they said, hey, we like this place. We've got sheepfolds. We're prospering. Uh, We're ready to build houses. And so Moses gave it to them. He gave them what they wanted. And they built their lives outside of the promised land. They never crossed over the Jordan River. They built their lives outside of the promised land, living on the border of the promised land. And they said, no, no, we'll still worship. We'll still worship. We're just going to stay here outside of the promised land. I have a map that I'd like to show you. If you look up at that little top circle, see the, the blue little lake right there, the blue up at the top? That's the Sea of Galilee. Do you see it? I know it's kind of small, I apologize. Uh, do you see where it says Capernaum, where the little red pin I dropped is? That's where Jesus started. That's where he crossed over the Sea of Galilee. And there he goes to, do you see where it is, Gadara? Well, now go all the way down. See, this is, the, this is Israel broken up by the 12 tribes. You see Manasseh, they've got both spots there. You see Ephraim, Dan, and Judah, etc., well, the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad were the two tribes that didn't want to cross over. And if you look over right here, this is where they were going to cross over. They came up around the Dead Sea, and they came up here, and they were going to cross right over at Jericho. Remember, Jericho was where they first came into the promised land. I'm probably off the pic- camera. I'm sorry, Lorenzo, I'm probably off the camera for everybody at home. Uh, But they didn't want to cross over. This line is the Jordan River. They didn't want to cross over the Jordan River. And they made their land right here. And now you can see, notice the land of Gad. And where is Gadara right now? There with the tribe of Gad. And that's where these pig farmers are who are putting their livestock, which has now moved from sheep to pigs, ahead of being with Jesus. Interesting. 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 Gad is a picture of those who are not all in in their walk with God and what happens over a long period of time. They believe, but they follow God from a distance. Their livestock, their ability to make money, their desire for wealth trumps their walk with God. And it's a dangerous place to be. They never enter enter the promised land because of their other loves. And their uh, other loves trump their commitment to God. And instead of being in the center of God's will, they're content with living on the fringe. Oh, I still believe. Oh, I still, you know, I still go to church. I still... But they're not in the center of God's will. And this is interesting to me. That Moses permitted them to do it. God will not take us one step further in our spiritual life than we want to go. And that ought to give us something to think about. God will not force us to love Him. He will only invite us. And so let me leave it with this. How far do you want to go in your walk with God? How far do you want to go? How close do you want to be with Jesus? Would you be okay living on the, right on the fringe, right on the border of the promised land? By the way, The tribe of Gad, during the Assyrian captivity, was the first people to get conquered. Always the first ones to get overtaken when you're living on the fringe. How far in do you want to be? It's interesting, we we see this, you know, even in our day. It doesn't look quite like that, right? But it looks like this. Uh, Pastor Dave, just have a question for you. Uh, Can a Christian drink? Well, yeah, a Christian can drink. Well, can they smoke cigars? Well, yeah, I guess you could smoke a cigar. Well, can you go to bars and... and, and well, hang, hang on. Why are we asking these questions, right? Why are we asking these questions? These are the wrong questions. Why are we asking, hey, what, how far can we go? They reveal that our heart is in the wrong place. And if we are asking these kind of questions, it's only a matter of time before we fall away from Jesus. So much better to ask instead of, hey, can I vape? Hey, can I do this? Hey, can I do this? So much better to ask, how close can I get to Jesus than to ask how far can I get away from Him and still be saved? And so let's examine our hearts. And may we be a church who instead of saying, how much can I get away with, is saying, Jesus, how close can I get to you? Jesus, I want, I want to study Colossians, because I really want to know what the book of Colossians is all about. I really want to know about the supremacy of Jesus. I want to know Colossians like the back of my hand. Jesus, I want to get close to you. All oh, that we would be doing that, Right? And when we finish Colossians, oh, I want to know Romans. I want to know theology. I want to know, I want to have a good grasp on my faith, right? Oh, that we would be asking these questions. Oh, that we'd be saying, Oh Lord, I want to serve you, man. I want to know who you are. I want to teach Sunday school. I want to teach youth. I want to lead a mission group. I want to be involved. I want to be on their prayer team. So stoked, by the way. The prayer team, which has not been meeting on Sunday mornings since COVID, is meeting again for the first time this morning, right here, right now, during church service at at the 830 service. You got people praying over you right now. If you want to be part of that prayer team, would love to have you be part of the prayer team. Get plugged in. Find out how close we can draw to Jesus. See how Jesus wants to use you. Uh, Man, come talk. Come talk with us. Say, hey, look, I want to get plugged in. I want to know. I want to know how close can I get to Jesus? Let's see how close we can get to him. Let's not be like Gad, being content, living on the fringe, but instead uh, coming in and, uh, uh, you know, drawing close to Jesus. Look where it leads. 1,400 years later, the tribe of Gad who wanted to live on the outside of the promised land is now the Gadarenes full of pagan influence, a thriving pork business uh, when there's, you know, I mean, just a sin for the Jews, demon-possessed men who are out of control, no men of faith there, and when Jesus comes, no one recognizes him or desires him. The whole city is asking him to leave, and he does. Man, don't want to be that way. I really believe we are living in exciting times right now. And this gulf between people who follow from afar and people who are really believers are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's going to become easier to tell who's really a believer and who isn't. Uh, We're living in exciting times. And I want to encourage you, church, let's make the mission church. Let's be believers who want to be so close to Jesus That the Lord says, the fields are ripe for harvest right now. People are hurting. People are scared, uncertain about the world. And I can use you to reach them and to bring them back. Bring them back. I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come back and close us out in song. Uh, You know what? You have a tremendous opportunity to be an instrument for Jesus right now. You say, how do I do it? Well, just tell somebody about the gospel. Tell a neighbor, tell a friend, tell a coworker. If that's too big a step for you, invite them to come to our summer nights this Wednesday. Hey, I'm going on a hike Wednesday night. You want to come? Can you do that? How hard is that, right? And it's a great entry door to be able to see and taste and see that the Lord is good. Will you stand with me? Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. That even, Lord, uh, those who find themselves being in places they never dreamed of being. I was one of those, Lord. Having done things I would have never dreamed, I would have done. Things that I regret and am ashamed of to this day. There you came and found me in all of my sin called me to yourself, made me your own. Lord, I know that's your will for each and every one, not just for me, but for each and every one. It was your will for all of those there in Gadara, not just for the two that were healed. It's interesting, Lord, that the two that were healed, they knew how bad they were. The rest thought they were good enough as they are. Jesus, thank you for your great desire for us. And Lord, I want to give an opportunity for any who are needing you right now just to respond to you. Just to call upon your name and say, here I am. Here I stand. I stand for you, Jesus. I need need your healing in my life. I need you to be Lord, not just Lord, but I need you to be Lord of my life. If that's your will, if that's your desire, if you need to recommit commit your life tonight uh, to to Jesus this morning if you need to uh, give your life to Jesus this morning maybe for the first time either way if it's your desire to just say Jesus I need healing I need you to to cleanse me I want to walk close with you I don't want to live on the fringe I want to be in the center of your will I just want to invite you to raise your hand to the Lord right now and call upon him whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved God bless you God bless you up in the balcony God bless you God bless you Anybody else? Anybody else? I just, Jesus, I want to make a decision for you right now. I want to stand for you. I want to live for you. I want to give my life to you anew and afresh. Anybody else? Raise your hand to the Lord. God bless you. God bless you. Jesus, you see each and every hand that was raised. I thank you, Lord, for each and every one. And Lord, I ask now that you would hear their prayer and their cry to you. And I ask, Lord, that you would save them, cast out all the sin that is in them. If there's any demonic activity in their life, Lord, you would save them and heal them and bring them to you. If you raised your hand, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. Just pray along with me in your own words. Jesus, I thank you for calling me today. I did not even expect to be standing here raising my hand to you now. But you came and found me. And Jesus, I know I have this sin in my life. I can't be set free of it on my own. Only you can set me free of this sin. Please heal me please save me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and I want to repent right now. And I ask that you would bring healing into my life. Make me a child of God and allow me to walk with you close. I don't want to live on the fringe. I want to be in the center of your will. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.